Um, your pastor asked me to come and speak about children's ministry today and family ministry today. And uh, I spent my life, like most of you, as a layperson. It wasn't until I was 36 I became a pastor. And uh, then I was a staff pastor. I've never had the privilege of being a senior pastor, only staff. And I was a children's pastor, outreach pastor, uh, uh, discipleship pastor, all those kind of things you do on a staff, and plus whatever else my pastor wanted me to do. And so uh, then I went to the district. (laughs) Amen, Pastor Chris, amen. But, you know, and then I, 18 years ago, I went to the district office, and I, this made me get my fingers in a lot of pots. I run the Bongiorno Conference Center with great teams there, and I tell my people that work with me, uh, my teammates, I say, listen, there's a good news and bad news, and the good news is this. I would never ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do. Yeah. And the bad news, I'm willing to do anything. <laughs> so that's what happens when you're staff. You know, there's, uh, it's, it's really about being a part of the team and the whole church being a part of the team. What I'm going to talk about today, about children's ministry, everyone can be a part of the team in some way. It's been said that children are our future. And not that I disagree with that, I don't, but I think there's more to it. Children are our present. They're a very valuable part of our church today. We'll have children who are more likely to evangelize, share their faith, and bring their friends to church than many adults ever will. They are a part of the church today. They're willing to serve. They're willing to do whatever you say. They have faith like a child because they are children. You tell them about the gospel and they believe it. Uh, the most easily evangelized people group on the planet are children. And they will shape what's going to happen in a few short years. How many years have you been here now, Pastor? Five years. So already those sixth graders five years ago are now in 11th grade getting ready to be seniors. Another five years, they'll be the young adults of the church. And another five years after that, 15 years, you'll be dedicating their children and marrying them and everything else that goes with that. And so children are somebody we really want to invest into. But today, our families are in crisis. They're in crisis. Our family culture, for the most part, and maybe not in the church as much, but for the most part, is shaped by television and Hollywood. We look back in the late 50s and 60s, that's when I was a kid, okay, I was born in 55, so you can do the math, see how old I am. I'll just tell you to save your brain, 63, okay? You know, back in the 60s when I watched TV, I saw family values in shows like Leave it to Beaver, Ozzy and Harriet, Father Knows Best, Andy Griffith. I love that. Wholesome, good shows, like with great family values. They're almost corny shows, but good family values. And then I moved into the 70s where I was a teenager. Yes, I was a hippie. I had a ponytail at one time. Now I don't even have hair, but I'm growing a ponytail back in a different way, yes. 70s was all in the family, the radicals. The 80s brought us different strokes and family ties, and for the last 20 years, shows like Everybody Loves Raymond and My Wife and Kids, where they, they just made parents seem like a bunch of buffoons. And then today we have the modern family, where two homosexual men raise a child. It seems that the family values that have been broadcast into our homes for the last 30 years don't resemble what God desires at all. The scriptures speak of an ideal family, but they also speak of reality. Family tragedies, dysfunctional families. You know, let's face it, we are real people with real problems and real issues. Families encounter very difficult circumstances. Parents die, parents get divorced, parents never marry. We have more single-parent families in our history in this country than ever before. Absentee fathers bring tragedy into our families. And it seems that, in my experience, more and more mothers are abandoning the families than ever before and leaving, leaving parents, dads, to raise their kids. In the U.S., we have 9.7 million single-parent families. Imagine that, 9.7 million single-parent with 21 million children. Single dads are 16% of that number. In Wrightsville alone, you have a population inner city proper proper of 2,223 people. That's just in the little town of Wrightsville. Can I say little town? It's a small town. Then you got York, Lancaster, everything all around it. But out of those 2,223 people, there are 900, according to the census, 955 actual households with about 30% of those having children. 286 households hold children in the town of Wrightsville. 
289 of those kids are sixth grade or under. So that's just in this, you can probably drive to the edge of town in that little circle. You have over close to 300 children right there, sixth grade and under to be reached. So you're, and you're reaching far beyond the walls in, this, in the city limits of Wrightsville. You're going back in New York, in Lancaster, everywhere else. There are a ton of children, a ton of single parents, a ton of parents. There's been a surge of grandparents who now raise their grandkids. Now I can see why God designed us to have children when we're young. I have 11 grandchildren, five children, my, to my wife and myself, five children, five spouses, 11 grandchildren. Yes, we are broke at Christmas, don't even ask. <laughs> and you know what? My wife, uh, one of our daughters has just started back to school. She's a six month program she's going back to school for. Her. The other works out of her house, thought she could watch her own kids while she works, that's crazy. They're like uh, four and just turned one. So my wife, what a great person she is, two days a week watches all four kids. I don't even know her anymore. <laughs> I come home and she's just frazzled. You know, now I know why people have children when they're young and not, uh, not grandparents having them. But I see the biggest problem in families is the breaking down of biblical values. These should be passed on to our children. But life gets busy, life gets crazy. Kids can survive being raised by aunts, uncles, grandparents, single parents. They can survive. Might not be the ideal scenario, but I've seen a lot of great success if those biblical values are passed down. The right values passed down. Um, I'm going to read to you uh, the passage I have, I'm jumping off from today is out of Deuteronomy 6.4, and I'm reading it from the children's version, international children's version here. So it breaks it down a little more. It's on a third grade reading level, where the NIV is a seventh grade reading level, and if you're smart like me, you like this third grade reading level. It makes a lot of sense. It says, listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God, he is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, and strength. Always remember these commands I give you today. This isn't written to pastors, it's written to the average person. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Write them down and tie them on your hands as a sign. Tie them on your foreheads to remind you. Write them on the doors and the gates of your home. Now, that covers everything. When you get up, when you get down, when you're walking along the road. Today's vernacular to be when you're driving along in a car. Whenever you're anywhere, whenever you go to bed at night, teach your children, train your children what the Word of God says, that He is the Lord, one God, and you should love Him with all your heart, your strength, and your soul. That's what God desires. That's what God desires for us. But yet we spend more time training teenagers how to serve at Chick-fil-A than we do training people what it's like to be married or raise children. You know, you can go down to the Justice of the Peace and get a marriage license, you can have kids at the hospital, and no one gives you any training whatsoever, and that's what happens in the majority of our world. People usually behave as husbands and wives and parents based on their example growing up. Now for many of us, that's disastrous. I look at my parents, I'm thinking, man, I didn't want, not want to be anything like my father. He was not the greatest of husbands, and he was not the greatest of parents. And uh, I'm thankful I had a father-in-law who was a, not only a Christian, but a pastor, and he became my dad. He showed me how to treat my wife, which was his daughter, by the way. And he showed me how to treat his wife, you know. I mean, whenever I started going to the church, and I was pretty, uh, pretty raw, I remember pulling in there with my chopper and hair, long ponytail, and he wondered who I was, and if I, I wanted to date his daughter, he started a discipleship class for me, just for me. And, and then it was very funny that once, once I asked my wife to marry me, that he started a young marriage and engaged class just for me. You know why? Because he wanted to pour into me as a young man. That's what our churches need to do. Um, many times I see families in crisis. I've just had two close friends who uh, their families just fell apart. Both of them pastors, which really grips my heart. And you know what? Sometimes people don't even want to go for counseling when things are rough. Marriage is not easy. You know, adulting is difficult. Well, being married is difficult. You've got to work at it. You know, because we are basically, since the time we're two years old, selfish. It's me, me, my, my grandkids. No one ever taught them how to be selfish, but they're selfish. That's mine, that's mine, that's 
Where did they get that from? They're cute, not anymore. I don't know what happens. That's, you know what, that sinful nature takes over. So we need training, we need equipping, we need to work at our marriages. I've seen husbands that refuse to go to counseling and I wonder why. You know, if their car wasn't running right and they knew they needed to have their uh, fuel injectors fixed, what are they gonna do? They're gonna go and consult a book, they're gonna go and find a mechanic and get some advice, get some counsel, but their marriage is hurting and they don't wanna tell anybody. We're too proud to say we need help. Well, I'll tell you right now, um, my wife and I have been married five and a half years. My first wife passed away with cancer about seven and a half, eight years ago. And we were married 32 years. And so my wife and I, we even went and got premarital counseling. And we're pastors. We should know everything, right? Well, we don't. And marriage is good, and we have to talk things out all the time. Families are in crisis today. And we, the church, need to hold our hand out and help them. And if we're a family, we need not be afraid to ask for help. Because everybody needs help. Everyone. One of the best gifts we can ever give our children is for them to know that mom and dad love them. It gives them security. Kids want and desire that security. Every year I have kids coming to our kids camp, and, and I, I can't believe it, I run about uh, four weeks of camp a summer, and I have maybe anywhere from 900 to 1,000 children showing up for camp, and this is what I have heard almost every year it happens. Sometimes it happens two or three times a year. A child comes and a chaperone tells me, well, their mom brought them to the church and said, now you know when you come home, daddy's not gonna be there, we're getting a divorce. Go to camp, have a great time. As if it isn't gonna phase them. Or dad brings them, as you know, mom's, mom's, mom's not coming home. She, she left two weeks ago and she's not coming back. It's just you and I. You know what, it devastates a child's life. I pray for many, many children come to camp knowing they're going home to a single parent family. I'm not saying garbage doesn't happen in families. It happens. It happens to parents. But we need to do all that we can as a husband and wife to put that solid relationship together for the security of our kids. And it's, for what, it's what God wants. It's what God wants for you to have, a, to have a happy life, loving somebody, a best friend. The church needs to come alongside families and train men and women to be better spouses, better parents. We need to come alongside parents, help them become better parents. You know, parenting is hard. You really don't get a manual. I raised two boys, and they could be as different as night and day, and I raised them both the same way. So no matter what book I would have got besides the Bible, I don't have any other help. This one was sensitive and kind, and this one I could beat his butt, and he would not say he's sorry ever. <laughs> Funny. I mean, now he's, now he's really grown into something great, part of my church on the worship team. You know what? It's not easy raising children. Um, healthy marriages and healthy parenting, does that mean it's going to be foolproof and our children are going to grow up and just serve God? No, no, not really. You see, children become teens, teens become adults, and adults make their own decisions. God gives us a free will. And sometimes I don't like that free will, but he gives it, and that's, that's how he's designed us, to love him and to serve him on our own. But we as parents have a wealth of influence, not only on our kids, but the kids in this church and the kids in this community. I'm thrilled the outreach you're gonna to do to reach so many people. You know what? When they're hurting, they're gonna look for somebody who is kind and friendly and held out a hand, and it'll be this church right here in Wrightsville. Amen. Amen. I, I, I saw just a few hands go up that were never involved in an outreach. Change that this year. Next year when your pastor asks it, every hand goes up, okay? It's about being involved and reaching people. We need to look to God's word and godly leaders. We need a Christian influence in our families. And this is where the church really comes in, to come alongside families and equipping and training and befriending. To provide children's ministry training for parents to raise their kids with godly values. Now, I'm no longer at a church. I resigned 18 years ago and I worked in the state district office for Pennsylvania, Delaware. I also work at the Bonturno <coughs> Conference Center. If you've been up there, I run that place. And so my, my frame of reference now is the camps that I hold there. I've held like 120 different camps and retreats in my lifetime. And we had our camp this past summer, and one of my speakers decided to ask the kids for testimonies of what the scripture meant or what God has meant to them. So the second day, they bring all these kids up one at a time, giving testimonies. And you know, if you ever ask kids for testimonies, it's things like, pray for my dog, he's sick. Pray for my grandpa, he just snores all day long. <laughs> Pray for my dad, he had to sleep in the couch last night, mom and he had a fight, you know, you get all those kind of things. My boo-boo, you know, lots of boo-boos, man. The world is full of boo-boos. But you know, these kids came up and that's kind of what we were expecting to a point, and we had some of those. 
But here's, here's some of the testimonies. I'm just sharing with you. A young boy gets up and said, my sister got the chicken pox when she was a baby. It left her blind in one eye. We had an evangelist come to our church, and he said, there's a small child who's blind in one eye. My mom went to the nursery and got my sister and was crying. The evangelist prayed for her. A week later, we're driving in a car. My little sister said, look at that red car over there. My mom started to cry. My dad had to pull off to the side of the road. We were all crying because my sister could now see out of that eye. Another boy gets up and says, and these are elementary grades one to six. He says, my mom's in jail. My uncle's in jail. My family has a lot of problems. But I'm glad to be at this place, camp, because God is helping me. Another boy gets up and he says, I'm being bullied at school every day. I try to be strong, but it just won't stop. I know that God will help me. No one bullies me here at camp. And my staff stopped and prayed. I wasn't in this morning when they did these testimonies that I'm reading to you that were written down for me. Same thing happens when they come to church, you know. The bullying stops because they feel the love of God here. Another boy gets up. Right after that one, then he says, I'm the one that bullies other kids at my school. After being here at camp, I'm praying that God will help me be nice. A girl gets up and says, my parents have been divorced for four years, but God has given me peace in this situation. Another girl gets up and says, everyone is fighting at my home, and I'm scared. But being at camp, God has brought me some peace. A staff person came to us later and said, I know that family, I know that situation. It's a miracle she has peace. Another girl gets up and says, this past has been really hard. My parents got a divorce, and I know this child, her dad was a, was a minister. But Kids Camp has helped me take my mind off it. I'm so grateful for this place. Those same testimonies are being said about your church because kids find healing and peace in this church. A girl gets up and said, my parents are fighting over custody of me. My dad doesn't want me in my mom's house because my new stepdad is mean, and he's worried what might happen to me. Another girl gets up and said, and I love this testimony, my parents were always fighting. They were always talking about divorce. But now my pastor is talking to them and things are getting better. They're even kissing now. <laughs> I don't know who that pastor is, but kudos to him. He's doing the job that needs to be done, ministering to that family, putting it back together. Another girl gets up and says, there's so much fighting in my house, we can't seem to get along, but I find peace here. Many, many testimonies about divorce, because that really does hit hard for a child. Another boy gets up. He's a sixth grader, pretty tall, good-looking young man, curly hair on top, kind of like your pastor. Yeah, He's about that tall, too, sixth grader, big kid. And he gives a testimony. Here's what he said. My dad used to hit me a lot. My mom called the police, and my dad is now in jail. His camp is helping me speak about it and heal. Now, I wasn't there that, that morning when they gave that testimony to the staff meeting. My staff told me about it. That night, we did an offering for Africa. And the kids have a card worth $20 that they can spend at camp if they bring $20. And, and they get so much crossed off every time they spend it. Well, that's how we do our offering, too. So this young man goes to the back. He comes back up. I'm still standing up front. He's as tall as me. He looks right in the eye. And he goes, what do I do with my card? It's all crossed off. There's nothing left. I said, well, you can keep it as a souvenir or throw it. You know, it's worthless now. He goes, oh. I said, well, how much did you give? He said, $10. I said, how much did you bring? $20. I go, that was half your, half your money you brought. So you have two more snack bars tonight and tomorrow night, plus the store tomorrow. And he goes, well, those kids in Africa needed it more than me. I said, you're a great kid. And he'd come over and he'd give me a hug. Not like a little kid. He's a sixth grader, but tall. And I said, tell you what, young man, you see me tomorrow at 2 o'clock when the ice cream window opens at the snack bar, I'll buy you ice cream. Now, I buy a lot of ice cream at camp. So, not for me, for kids. Not well, for me, too, sometimes. I like taco tacos. But anyway, he, 2 o'clock, he found me. He said, I'm here for my ice cream. I said, okay, let's go. So we go on down. Walking back from the dining hall to the, to the office, he said something to the effect of, uh, you know, I've, I've only been at this God thing two years. And I said, what do you mean? He's a sixth grader. He said, well, two years ago, my friend invited me to church, and I accepted God in my life. And he's been going ever since. And I said, oh, now my staff had told me he's the one whose father's in jail for beating him. And I said, well, did your mother go to church? Well, she really tries, but she really can't. He said, she was in a car accident and she's paralyzed. How much more could happen to this young man? Dad's in jail, mother's paralyzed. He said, but she's learning how to walk again and, and learning how to talk again. And he said, but God's really helping me. He said, God is really, I'm so glad I'm living for God. He's really helping me. 
And, and I said, man, you're a great young man. I'll tell you what, you'll never believe what God can do in your life. I gave my heart to him at 19. He changed my life. It's been the best life anybody could ever have. And he just smiled and he hugged me. He didn't hug me like a kid hugs you when you give him something, ice cream. He hugged me like a kid hugs his dad. Looking for words of affirmation. There are kids all over this area that look for words of affirmation. I went to a church in Ford City and I was talking to one of the pastors there and he tells me that his son plays football, high school football. And he picks him up, he's at the game the whole time, cheering him on and picks him up and comes back. Hey, that was a great job, son. You really ran that ball. You did a great job, man. You're just, he's encouraged and he looks over and there's his neighbor, single parent family. And she's picking up her son. And uh, she was at the game, but she picked her son up after the game. She said, hey, you ready to go home? Get your equipment. He said, that boy longed for someone to pour into him. Tell him how good he was, how proud they were of him. I would have to guess in this Wrightsville, York, Lancaster area, there are thousands of children looking for someone to pour into them, to encourage them, to tell them they're doing a great job, to be that parent. They don't have that mom. They don't have that dad. They don't have. There are thousands of kids that need you. Touch their lives. It's so important for churches to pour into families and pour into children. Why family ministry? Psalm says this. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. Now, you may have days where you don't think your children are a reward. We all have those days. You know, um, there were some days I thought, I didn't think my children were going to make it in life. I thought I'd kill them first. <laughs> Not really. I really wouldn't kill them. But I would think it scared me. I'm only kidding. God places a high premium on children. Children are the future of the human race, the future of the church. You know, the church is only one generation away from extinction. If the teenagers and the youth and the children never came to church again, how long would we last? We wouldn't be around. We need to invest in our young people. No one else in the Bible is called a heritage of the Lord. That title is reserved for children. Many times we worry about the wrong things. Oh, if only my son and daughter could have their basic needs met food, clothing, shelter. They could get a good job. They could be physically healthy. That's all I'm asking. If they could perform at maybe their grade level or even a grade level higher. If they can excel in sports, that'd be everything, you know. If they can make decent friends and not get involved in drugs or alcohol. All those are great things for our kids. But it's not what we should measure. We want our kids to have a happy, safe, comfortable life, be good citizens. I wanted that for my children. But there's something else. We need them to, to fill their potential. The most important thing is this. God created us to love Him. To love God with all our heart, our soul, and strength. It's a command in Deuteronomy. Teach our kids to love God with all their heart, their soul, and their strength. If they do that, and they never have the career we want, or play the sports we want to see them play, they will do well in life. It's our job as parents and the church to raise spiritual champions. Spiritual champions. We need to ask ourselves, how are we doing by God's standards? Are our children biblically literate or illiterate? Are they motivated to share their faith with others like that fourth grade boy did with that other fourth grade boy that I talked about? Do our children really understand salvation and what it really means? Do our children live to serve God with all their heart, soul, and strength? A child's spiritual development starts by age two. Age two. That's why your nursery and your preschool are so, so important. Yeah. I would think they're more important than elementary children's ministry and more important than youth ministry because age two, they begin their spiritual development. They say by age nine, a child has most of their moral and spiritual foundations in place, in place. The younger the child, the more influence the parent holds. The older the child, Say 14 or 16, the influence becomes less and less. I was amazed in my two teenage sons at how smart their friends were. Smarter than me. They would tell me that. Dad, my friend said, that's not true, Dad. My, I had to finally sit him down one day and say, Jeremy, your friend's an idiot. That's the way it is. Oh. You know, many times, and my kids are now 38 and 30. Six, 35, 35. I'm very happy for them. They're doing really well. But many times our children live a Christian lifestyle. It's got to be beyond that. 
I, I wanted my kids to have that Christian lifestyle, but I wanted them to move beyond that and actually have a personal relationship. If there's a personal relationship, that Christian lifestyle will probably follow it to some degree. But it's about having a relationship. They pray daily. They understood God. They knew God wanted to be involved in their lives. That's what I strive for. Family ministry should be the most valuable ministry of the church. The church's responsibility to parents and children. It says in Titus, in everything, set an example of what is good. Integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech. Set an example there's a story about a three-year-old in Texas. This was many, many years ago. I remember reading it. A little boy fell into a well, very small, like 18, 20 inches in diameter, a pipe straight down. And he got kind of wedged in there and didn't fall far enough to hit the water, but got wedged. The fire department gets there, the police department, they, get, they didn't know what they're going to do to get this kid out. Trying to dig a parallel tunnel. They thought about that. They tried. There's nothing that would go down that well. And across the street was a, was a farmhand, a Mexican farmhand named Manuel. He was a very small, slightly built guy, very thin. And he ran over, and he looked down, and he said, he took off his shirt and his jeans, just had shorts on, and he said, tie that rope around my legs, around my ankles, and lower me down. And he lowered him down into that darkness where he could grab that boy, unwedge him. He could barely breathe. His body almost consumed the whole circumference, the whole diameter of that, that pipe in the ground. And he pulled the young man to, to safety, pulled him out, and when he got out, someone said, what, what possessed you to do that? He said, I was working across the road there at the farm. And Jesus spoke to me and said, go rescue that boy. Go rescue that boy. He said, Jesus spoke to me. You know what? Jesus is here today. And he's speaking to all of us. Go rescue those children. Those families in New York, those families in Lancaster, the families in Wrightsville, go rescue those children today. They're in a bad place. Go rescue them. Um... The children of God is placed in our homes. They're a heritage in the Lord. They're a heritage. The same kids that enter the walls of this church are a heritage in the Lord. I think the church sometimes is on a dangerous path, a disastrous path. We've forgotten how important children and children's ministry is. I've talked to children's pastors, Christian educators across the country, all face the same problem in every church. Whether it's a church of 65 or a church of 10,000, everyone has trouble finding believers who are willing to minister to kids. These are the same children that Jesus says, you minister to them, you minister to me. Jesus called the children himself. He didn't say, wait, wait, you kids are really high energy with ADD. No, no not you. And you kids over here just cause problems. Not you. I want just these good kids to come here. No. He called every child to himself. He didn't just called the ones who well behaved without issues. He called them all. But today, most believers prefer comfort over crayons. I'll be comfortable on Sunday morning. I don't want to get down in Keller. They prefer worship over whiners. Now, I loved your worship service. It was great. Yes. Um, but sometimes kids are just whiny. That's okay. They're kids. They're adults in training. Drama over diapers and service over serving. I have a little saying most pastors don't like, but I'll say it anyway. It's better to do service than sit in service. When you come to service, you're being cheered on to do service. I like what your pastor said this morning about everybody being involved and getting involved in the outreach. That's what God has called us to do. We're only here to charge batteries. You know what? Get a battery charger at home. You put the battery in for 24 hours. You take it out and use it for six months, right? It doesn't stay in that battery charger and get charged up and charged up and charged up and never get used. No. We need to be active. We need to be used by God every chance we get. Every worker in children's ministry, whether they led, he, excuse me, lead teacher, puppeteer, diaper changer, it doesn't make a difference. If you're working in children's ministry, God has a plan for your life. Yeah. And I just put my fat finger over my notes here and moved everything. Okay. Um, God has a huge plan for your life. Jesus says this. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple... I tell you the tr tr truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Even a cup of cold water to one of those little ones, you will not lose your reward. When you serve kids, God has a plan to reward you somehow, some way. Now, I used to pray to my, my children's ministry staff whenever they work in kids' ministry. They'd go home and open their garage door and their Volkswagen would be turned into a Mercedes. That's how I hoped God would reward them, but he never did. It never happened. It was a good thought. I'm still going to pray that way for my children's leaders. Many times in church, we serve ourselves. We serve each other. But we're never serving kids. 
I think whenever we serve kids, look into their eyes, look into their face, you'll see the innocence, you'll see Jesus. It's a unique promise for those who work with children, that you'll get your reward, Jesus, Jesus will see to it. That promise isn't made to everybody. Unfortunately, it wasn't made to the worship team up here. As a matter of fact, don't get mad at me, but you can fake being in the worship team. I've done it. I can't sing for anything. If I got four or five people singing around me, I can move my lips, and swing my hands, hold them. You'll think I'm doing great. You say, wow, that guy up there, he's old, but he can really do a great, I'm like, you're singing, right? You can fake it. And you can't fake it in the four-year-old room. If you're not prepared and you go in that four-year-old room thinking you can fake it, they will have a surprise for you. You will go home crying. They'll duct tape you to a chair and stuff your mouth with those little goldfish crackers. I'm telling you, you don't want to go in there unprepared. You know, you never see the greeters going home crying. Oh, I tried to tip in that bull and they just wouldn't take it. What am I going to do? I said, slide over, there's more people coming. They said, no. Or people in the worship team. I tried to hit that last note and I just couldn't. And the pastor just kept staring at me. I can't take the pressure. I've got to resign. No, I saw many people from the preschool and nursery go home crying, you know? Real tears. It's not going to be easy. It isn't always easy. I'm not saying it is. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the hardest ministries in the church, but one of the most rewarding and the best. It takes quality people. Wimps need not apply. You know, we're looking for disciples without egos. You don't get an ego changing poopy diapers, let me tell you what. You have to fight your ego if you're up in front of the platform, you're speaking, 20 people say, great job, good job, great job with worship, I saw you in a great drama, great human video, that's fighting an ego. Nobody ever says, boy, you did a great job changing that diaper, man, I'll tell you what, you need to be getting on your fingers, that's really good. No, never happens. You don't get pats in the back from three-year-olds saying, you did a very good job today, thank you. It's rare that a five-year-old will compliment you on your multimedia methods of teaching. Um, and second graders, they don't, they don't invite you to their house for pizza or anything like that. I remember that one time I had a kid come in, it's at my church, and, and the senior pastor was given a, uh, well, he was given a great reward. Let me say this, that he did a great job at our church for 20 years, and they gave him $10,000. He was gonna put an addition on his house. I'm like, what? $10,000? And the young adults pastor, they gave him a trip, a week-long vacation. The young adults got together. And the teens gave our youth pastor a three-day weekend somewhere. I forget where it was at. They collected money. Now, I ran the kids' ministry. I had a kid come in one morning. He said, I got something for you, pastor. I'm like, yes, finally. <laughs> I hold on my hands, and he drops a rock in my hand. And he goes, and now, our church didn't landscape with mulch. They landscaped with gravel. And that's where he got it from. And his mom goes, he searched all over to find just the right one. Look at that rock. That, you don't get that kind of rewards from kids. But Jesus said, I will see to it that you will get your reward. You know, we, we are here to change the lives of families. We need to take families from dysfunction to functionality. And pastor, I wrote it down, but I forgot to ask, what time am I done? Okay, thank you. <laughs> At 10 o'clock, I missed it. <laughs> Taking families from dysfunction to functionality. Yes, dysfunctioning families seem to be the norm today. If I asked how many of your families are dysfunctional, probably everybody would raise their hands because we have weird families, don't we? You know, fathers are consumed with themselves and not able to exercise godly authority. Mothers who give their children all the freedom they desire and can't understand why their children don't obey them. Children who make a mess of their lives and no one seems to intervene. Dysfunctional means dangerous functioning. It becomes dangerous for the children who are raised in dysfunctional families. Dysfunctional families have an increase in violence, uh, divorce, the child's ability to cope with school and grades. Um, we just had one of our pastors, his 14-year-old daughter committed suicide a few weeks ago from bullying. You know, life isn't easy for kids, and she was in a good family, but school, who knows what goes on there sometimes. It grips my heart. Forgiveness doesn't flow sometimes in families. Dysfunctional families, forgiveness and grace is needed like never before. We need to help children find God's identity for their lives. Our kids live in a culture that assaults their identity. Our kids need a strong sense of who they are and what role they play in this planet. 
Young people today are in confusion about who they are and what their purpose is. They go from one self-concept to one self-image to another as if changing clothes. And there's an attack on their sexual identity. The lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender group, LGBT movement is trying to help kids find themselves. Well, you know, God found them before they ever found them. Um, they want to help kids find their sexual identity. High schools and some junior highs have transgender clubs and gay clubs on their campuses. First graders were taken to a field trip to City Hall to watch a lesbian wedding. There's a perverse philosophy for our boys and girls. They need to find, who, find out who they are by God's standards. I love ministries, and often you have them here like Royal Rangers and Girls Ministries or Kids Clubs that help boys become boys, where men are mentoring boys to become godly men, and women are mentoring girls to become godly women. That's who God designed them to be. We need to help our kids understand God's identity for them and not allow this world to force them in some warped mold. We need to give our children love-based discipline. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. I took that to task really well. Um, do not be a willing party to their death. Now, that doesn't mean don't discipline them too much. That means if you don't discipline them properly, they will get in trouble and it could, could end their life. Yeah. I, I'm telling you what, I saw a couple kids in my kids' church and their parents were a mess. Never disciplined them. Two of them ended up in jail because of it. They were just, they could do whatever they wanted and never had any consequences. Love-based discipline is bathed in grace. Sometimes we as parents blow up big time. Many times I had to go to my children and say, I was in the heat of the moment, I over-disciplined you. I, I, know I, I know I can't ground you for six years and I'm sorry. <laughs> but the next weekend, you're not, you're not going out. You know, we need to balance things. God doesn't use shame and guilt to bring me back to him. He hears my heart and he forgives me. He gives me grace, undeserved forgiveness. We need to do the same to our kids. Discipline is essential to raising a healthy child. We must never forget that. Um, Love-based discipline. My father would discipline me. All I had to do is, if I did something wrong, he began to unbuckle his belt and he wasn't going to go change clothes either. He'd unbuckle his belt, fold it in half, and give me a couple of whacks across these padded posterior that I now possess. <laughs> and my, sometimes my dad came probably that short of, of abuse because he spanked hard, but I never forgot that lesson. I never did that again. He usually only spanked me for things that were dangerous to me, running out in the road, playing in a construction site I shouldn't be at, those kinds of things. One thing my dad didn't do, after he disciplined me, he never came back and talked about it. And for months, weeks, at least maybe months, I thought he was upset with me and angry and didn't love me anymore. Because that was the last memory I had was him spanking me pretty good. My children, I tried doing it different. If I had to discipline them, no matter what it was, a grounding, taking away toys, or a spanking, which I didn't do very often, but I did once in a while, I'd bring my boys to me and say, come here. I only disciplined you because I love you and I want you to learn and that pain of being in a corner or being grounded or having toys taken away or spanking, whatever it was, will help you remember. But I want you to know I love you. I love you and forgive you. And God loves you and forgives you. So right now we're going to pray. I had my children pray to God and ask forgiveness and then ask me for forgiveness. And I would pray with them and say, God, help me to be a great parent, a better parent. I love my sons. And I'd say, listen, it's as if it never happened. It's all forgotten now. That's what God does for us. He forgives it. As rotten as I was before I became a Christian, and as rotten as I am now as a Christian, God forgives me. I'm not perfect. I sin every day. I'm in my car. Before I make it to the first red light, somebody's going to pull out in front of me, and I'm going to get upset. I need love-based discipline, too, from God. We need to give our children grace, unconditional love. That's a love that says, no matter what, I will love you. Nothing can stop me from loving you. The church needs to do it with the kids in the church. Sometimes kids will come in and they'll run around the sanctuary and people say, this is God's house. Don't run in God's house. Hey, this is God's house. He wants you to enjoy it. Have fun. You know, uh, don't be bringing red juice and dumping the carpet though, okay? But other than that, we're okay. You know where God's house is at? Right here in their heart. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. In their heart. That doesn't excuse kids uh, because they want that forgiveness and we have to give them unconditional love. It doesn't excuse the consequences of a violation, but it does release them from the guilt. Mm 
God has shown us much grace. We need to show children much grace. I can remember my children being very nervous about breaking some infractions and expecting the hammer to come down. And there were times when it had to happen. Other times I'd just say, I'm just very disappointed. I expected better of you. I know you can do better. Uh, you're forgiven, but don't let it happen again, okay? That forgiveness can go a long way. At times, it was the best thing I could do, letting, helping and teaching my children by grace. I remember a young man came to my camp one time. I was a children's pastor in Camp Hill. And this young man, his mother lived in Maryland, his dad lived in the uh, Camp Hill area. And every other Sunday, he had his son, he'd bring him to church, in my kid's church. This kid was bad to the bone. I'm telling you what, he, he about drove me crazy. And then his, his cousins also, his, he had uh, two or three cousins, all girls at the same church. They come, his cousins come to church with them. And I'm just glad he came on, this is horrible. You're going you're gonna to hate me for this. I'm just glad he came on Sunday, not Sunday night and Wednesday too, because I had really gone bonkers. But he came on Sunday, he was a handful. And then I get his camp application, take him to camp. Oh, Lord, please help me. And help him, too, but help me, Lord, please. <laughs> Take this kid to camp, and you name it, he did it wrong. He was, a, he was trouble from day one when we arrived. He just stressed me out. Monday, Tuesday, it's getting to be on Wednesday, and every day, Monday night, we get to like Monday afternoon, well, you're going home, you're not going to make it, you better change. Tuesday morning, you're gonna, I'm going to send you home, I've had it with you, Chad, come on. He just wouldn't listen. And so, it's Wednesday. And they gave a snack out at the end of the service. You could walk out the door, and there was a girl there. Was, was, I was not the camp director then. It was a children's pastor. And she was giving out ice cream cones or ice cream bars. You only get one. And she gave him his ice cream bar, and he goes, I want two. And she says, you only get one. He kind of gruffs out. He takes off, and he runs around the building, knocks in the back door of the sanctuary. Somebody opens the door, he comes in, and he goes for a second ice cream. <laughs> and so she gives it to him, and she recognizes him and says, hey, you already got one. And he turns around and he waves goodbye with two special fingers behind his back. And he's at the door. Well, this girl's an athlete, you know, University of Valley Forge. She tears out after him, hits him in the playground, takes him down, brings him back in, tells my, uh, my predecessor, who's then the C director, Tom Reese, about it. And Tom calls me. He said, George, I got a problem. One of your kids. Shot the finger at one of my staff. I'm like, it's gotta be Chad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to meet Chad. I'm gonna go up to the, up to the uh, sanctuary where he's being held. Not like he's in jail or anything. <laughs> he's being held in a chair in the office, okay? Like prison. And my way up, his cousin gives me a letter. She wrote at camp, Dear Pastor George, I know you wanna send Chad home. Chad has no friends. None of the kids at school like him. I, I can see why, he's, he's a jerk. None of the, that's my, my opinion. He was. None of the kids at school like him. None of the kids in his cabin, which is a cabin. I'm trying to help him become a friend. None of them want to be his friend. And she was, he's always in trouble, but he doesn't really know Jesus. Can you please not send him home? I know you want to send him home. Please keep him at camp. He needs to have someone love him, and he needs to know Jesus. And I'm reading this. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> to get in my pocket. I go in to meet the director. He tells me what happened. And so I said, well, we're going to play some games for half an hour in the gym. And then, Tom, would you, when I come back, would you tell Chad his punishment is to clean the playground up? Okay. So we're all done with games. We go back in the office, and Tom gives him a plastic bag and said, the playground is a mess. Your punishment is to clean it up. So we go, leave the office, and Chad already is mad. He's kicking the ground. He's screaming, I didn't do anything wrong. I shouldn't have cleaned that playground up. I said, Chad, everything you have did all week long tells me you're guilty. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to believe in you. I'm going to choose to forgive you. And I'm going to choose that you do not clean the playground up. I took the bag from him. I said, go on down to the cabin with the rest of the boys. He's smiling now because he got over on me. Go down to the cabin with the rest of the boys. Have fun. I'll be down in a few minutes. I will clean the playground up for you. I will take your punishment. Jesus took my punishment. I will take your punishment. His eyes got real big. You don't got to do that. I go, Yes, I do, because you did nothing wrong. You told me that. Go. Oh. So I go and I tell the camp director what's going to happen while he's down in the, in the cabin. I walk out in the playground. There's Chad with his T-shirt full of pop cans and wrappers and everything else. Cleaning up. I said, what are you doing? He goes, you should have to clean up. I said, neither should you. You didn't do anything wrong. Put it all in a bag. He dumps it in a bag. I said, I get down to the cabin with the rest of the boys. Have some fun. I'll be down in a little while. 
So I take that little bag of trash, wasn't much in it. I go back, we call the Oasis room. It's a room that we can get a couple sodas in. I sit down in an air-conditioned room for about five minutes, drink, drink the fruit of the gods, Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Sip on that, finish that Coke up. And then I walk over to the dumpster behind the dining hall, open it up, and I get two big bags of trash out of the dumpster. Because I'm not cleaning that playground up. I walk down to the room, untuck my shirt, as if it's ever tucked in anyway, mess my hair up, I had hair in those days. And I walk in like this. <sighs> all the kids are looking, all the boys are, Pastor George, what a... Playground was a mess. I just, there's Chad with his Bible and his flashlight, reading his Bible. <laughs> His life was changed from that day on. The rest of the camp, he was my helper. Anything he could do. Because no one ever showed him forgiveness and grace and unconditional love. Kids need grace and unconditional love. They're looking at it. They're all over this, this area, you know. Your town, neighboring towns, wanting to know, does somebody really love me no matter how badly I behave? We need to show them unconditional love. What legacy will you leave as parents, as families, and as a church? We know what's important in this life. It's our relationship with our children and our God. Too many people allow their key ring to measure their life, their house key, their car key, their work keys. What house will I live in? That's important. What kind of a car am I going to drive? That's what, that's what makes it in life. What, what job do I hold? As a church, we need to celebrate children, not those things in our key ring. The church needs to feature kids in their services, children in their ministries, training kids on the soundboard, receiving the offering, serving it. Well, maybe not the, not the soundboard. That's pretty expensive. <laughs> train them on some things that are less expensive. We need to train our kids to minister. They know how to do human videos. They do them right here on the platform to, to enhance you and minister to you. We've always instilled in our kids, my own children, that serving is what matters most, our service to God, finding purpose in a place of the kingdom. <laughs> What will your children say about you as parents whenever you're gone? On your death or on your retirement, maybe. What will they say about Wrightsville Assembly of God? Perhaps they'll write your obituary. When will your children, and what will your children say about you? Dad never cut me a break. He was a hard guy to live with. And all I can remember about my mom was she screamed and yelled at me all the time. And that church... They never did anything fun. They just stuck us in a dark, dingy, moldy basement. I've been in a lot of those basements in churches. And we want them to say, my church valued me. I remember my mom praying with me every morning before school, believing God would answer my prayers, and, and my dad would always correct me and love me at the same time. It was great growing up in that home, and I loved going to that church. There's an obituary that appeared in a Denver paper. I want to read it to you. Marianne Teresa Johnson Reddick, born January 4th, 1935, and died alone on August 30th, 1913. Or excuse me, 2013. She is survived by six of her eight children whom she spent her lifetime torturing in every possible way. While she neglected and abused her small children, she refused to allow anyone else to care or show compassion towards her kids. When they became adults, she stalked and tortured anyone they dared to love. Everyone she met, adult or child, was tortured by her cruelty, exposure to violence, criminal activity, vulgarity, and hatred of the gentle and kind human spirit. On behalf of her children, whom she so abrasively exposed to her evil and violent life, we celebrate her passing from this earth and hope she lives in the afterlife, reliving each gesture of violence, cruelty, and shame that she delivered on her children. Her surviving children will now live the rest of their lives in the peace of knowing their nightmare has finally come to some form of closure. Most of us, her children, have found peace in helping those who have been exposed to child abuse and hope this message of her final passing can revive our message that abusing children is unforgivable, shameless, and should not be tolerated in a humane society. Our greatest wish now is to stimulate a national movement that mandates a purposeful and dedicated war against child abuse in the United States of America. Wow. What an awful thing to have said about you. But many people live their lives that way. Believe it or not, you have a chance to plan your retirement party. 
You've got a chance to plan your retirement speech, and, and you've got a chance to let your children write a great obituary about you someday. How you raise your kids and how you treat your kids will determine what said about you. Are we leaving a spiritual legacy? Is your church leaving a spiritual legacy? It looks like it is to me. There are a lot of great things. What will be said about Wrightsville Assembly of God 25 or 30 years from now? Will the adults in this community say, that place was great. I love being a kid there. They made me feel welcome. They loved me. They cared about me. What will the legacy be? I close every message I ever speak on, every preach on, with my two friends. My first friend is, so what? So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I have to believe somewhere in this past 30, 40 minutes, the Holy Spirit spoke to you about something. Maybe it's something personal to you. Maybe it's something about your church. Maybe it's something about your parenting. I have to believe he spoke to you about something. So what is he saying to you? A few seconds. What's he saying to you? And my second friend is, now what? Now what are you going to do about it? I don't always measure the response of a service by the altar call. You know why 15 people come to the altar? I measure it by a changed life. Now what's going to be different? What are you going to do about this? Maybe you need to say, hey, pastor, I want to serve in some area of kids' ministry. Maybe you don't even like kids. You know, you can make Kool-Aid in the kitchen and bring it to them. Even a cup of cold water. I'll see to it. You get your reward. Maybe you can build the, <clears throat> build the sets for a Christmas program. There's something everyone can find to do in kids' ministry. You're always going to be the teacher or the speaker or the person doing puppets. There's always something you can do. Something you can do to, to bless this church. Bless your kids. I was sharing with my pastor, Don Immel, our superintendent. He's my pastor. I recently did a retreat for preacher's kids. And one little girl said, I used to think my dad loved the people in my church more than me. Because he spent so much time with them. And then she said, but now I realize he needs me as much as I need him. You know, my pastor said to me, I have three adult children, all grown and married. He said, George, I need to call them this week and apologize. You know, your kids are never too old to call and apologize to. We all make mistakes in life, but God's concerned about right now, this starting point. So now what are you going to do about it? And take 30 seconds before I close in prayer of just, just them playing the instruments, no talking, just you asking God what your next action step is. If you leave here with one action step to do, that's enough. Let's just close in prayer for 30 seconds.